Russell, a few weeks ago, can you remember, we put out a cry for other podcasts to get in touch for us to sort of advertise... For cross-promotional purposes, yes. Yes. As we speak across each other. Yes. Well, I reached out to uh, a podcast that I actually listened to called Car Journey Conversations, and they agreed. They've put a little advert out for us. Indeed they did. It was very kind of them. We now have a little advert from them to play. Hi, this is Catherine. And this is Shane on Car Journey Conversations. Come and join us on our weekly podcast as we discuss topics inspired by conversations in the car. Is being introverted really a bad thing? Have you ever had a lucid dream? Or discover if humans are being replaced by robots? Visit us at www.carjourneyconversations.com and let's take you on the journey with us. Hello, my name's David, and I'm Russell, and this is Old News. It's good to be back. We're finally back. Finally back after another pause in production. A hiatus. A hiatus. <laughs> isn't, isn't that, that's a type of herd isn't it? Yeah, I, I guess it's... <laughs> <laughs> Why did you have the disgusted face there? Yeah? <laughs> Life gets in the way, doesn't it, occasionally? Mm-hmm. These things happen, so... Been a very busy period and things have happened in our lives, whatever. How are you generally? Are you okay? In good health? I'm alright at the moment, yes. You're alright? Yeah. I'm full of busy getting prepared for an upcoming trip to Canada. But we'll talk about that more in the next episode, I imagine. Yeah, I've also been having adventures in the history of UK telephony. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was a weird Facebook status this morning. (laughs) So for those of you that don't follow me on Facebook, which uh, you like, clearly, clearly all should, I, I remembered very clearly from a, a kids' TV show, one of the Saturday morning kids' TV shows, the uh, the telephone number that they used to get people to call into the show. And these numbers have evolved over time where they've changed the codes and reorganised things down in, in London. And uh, I thought, what happens if you just update that number? And I called it out of sheer curiosity. I called the number with the updated telephone code. I discovered I didn't get through to the BBC. It's uh, it's an unused number that is for sale commercially. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a shame. I suggested we buy it for old news, but it is a London number. There is a certain kudos, isn't there? Because even though London is now... I'm going to bore people with telephone codes now. London is now 020 is the the code isn't it but you've still got this inheritance from uh, numbers that lead with an eight as being the center of london and that is still considered quite prestigious old news i was quite taken by the chaps there from car journey conversations they're talking about whether robots will take over our jobs and have you seen in the news today to be fair they did say are robots taking over humans well, <laughs> which is slightly different to that's true, are robots yeah. taking over human jobs. Well, this is the thing. Have you seen the news today about the uh, the artificial intelligence that Facebook had? They had various no. bots. I've just sort of read the headlines, really, but they had bots that were communicating with each other. Right. And although they were instructed to speak in English uh, in order to, to get around the rules, they started speaking in their own language that they couldn't understand. 
Oh, okay. They developed their own language, and so they had to pull the plug. So they they broke their programming. They would, well, they their programming said they, you have to speak in English. They didn't break their programming as such, because I don't think they had strictly injuncted them to speak in English okay. as such. But they were getting them to negotiate. Mm-hmm. And obviously a way of kind of excluding people from negotiations is to speak in code or develop another language that like a third person would remain ignorant of. Right. Yeah, so apparently they've also developed all kinds of really sneaky ways of negotiating, so they'll feign interest in some item in a negotiation. They'll pretend to be interested and then at a later point discard this thing that they're pretending to be interested about because that looks like a concession. Right. Which is which is something humans do all the time, but it's a bit scary that computers yeah. would do it. It's yeah. kind of worrying, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. We're all going to be disposed of before long, mm-hmm. aren't we? Old news. We were building a shed on we, Saturday, weren't we? We were building a shed. Shed erection. <laughs> <laughs> the, the disapproving look. Yeah. A friend who has a, an allotment had a, a shed which had been dismantled from his own garden and had been moved to the allotment and then needed to be reassembled. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. Why is he only get dismantled, but you don't get mantled, man- mantled or remantled? You get reassembled or get disassembled yeah. or assembled. But you don't get mantled. Curious etymology question, which I suppose we could look up on the internet and <laughs> solve in 10 se- seconds. But we won't because yeah. we're too busy talking. <laughs> but typically, wasn't it, we were like trying to handle these enormous big panel wood panels and the wind decided to blow and... But it all went okay in the end. It did, yeah. I was surprised how easy it was. Although I've got to say, I wasn't stiff at all from all the work we did yesterday. But today, my legs have been stiffer than some of the wood we were moving around. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, well, I got terrible sunburn. That was the price I I paid. Old news. Right. Should we start today's topic? Yes, I'll just rearrange my paper notes and my beer of indeterminate strength. Which is today described as bitter. Be interesting to see if the listeners could hear me walking out the room. (laughs) Yeah, um, I have something that it wasn't labelled. the box it came out of was specifically unlabeled. I think it's an amber ale. It's quite nice. Well, I can say that the bitter definitely tastes bitter. <laughs> Possibly the least successful. Uh, it's all right. It's yeah. fine. It's not not the best, but it's all not right. At least, it, at least it doesn't taste of. What was that cider you made that tasted savoury? Uh, Pine- that was the pineapple cider. Pineapple cider. Yeah, it isn't like that. No. <laughs> uh, let's talk about today's topic so the opening of the channel tunnel which was uh, to quote to date the official opening where the queen and president francois mitterrand did the business was the 6th of may 1994 this time around when i was kind of i generally sort of looked at kind of just like internet articles and whatever but i decided to just like he mainly look at a lot of youtube videos because i okay. thought Let's try and go back to some of the, the news coverage as it was. Uh, the, the main ones I looked at were the BBC and 
there's a bit of ITN, which is the Independent Television News, and also the Associated Press as well. And then I actually looked at a couple of French news. Okay. Right, and I don't speak French. I am a monoglot, unfortunately. With the smattering of schoolboy French that I retain, mm. you know, after X many years of having left for school, obviously because I, I just watched the English language videos of the same thing, so you get a sense of exactly what's being said. It was quite interesting to see how, how that plan uh, sort of panned out. So you've got uh, the the brand new tunnel that it was. It still wasn't fully commissioned at this point, and it's running from Folkestone to Calais. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, is it the Pas de Calais? Yeah, yeah, in France. Uh, and you've got the two services uh, were showcased that day. You've got the Eurostar, which is the, the passenger service, and the Le Shuttle, which is the, the drive-on... Yeah, drive-on, drive-off. Drive-off service, yeah. And so what happened was President Mitterrand of France set off from Paris down the high-speed line to Calais, and then the Queen set off from Folkestone, and they, they came through the tunnel, and they met in Calais, and then they got to the Queen's Rolls Royce and then headed back on the shuttle to the British side. I, I thought it was quite interesting to note this, some of the little things which are sort of curious on the day. So the French had actually built the high-speed line from Paris to Calais to the tunnel mouth. And that train was delayed. It was late. It was slow to get right. to Calais. Oh, God. <laughs> but they, they slowed everything down and, and they met. They actually, uh, in a kind of one-off they would never do it in reality they actually brought two trains on the same line nose to nose uh, okay yeah 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 with a, a french flag on one and a british flag on on the other and they crept up and stopped and then there was a red carpet sort of between the two so they were five minutes late but it was all fine it, it, it was fine they rejigged it all but it was really interesting to sort of get a sense of the emphasis between the two news coverages of the story on the british side this train was late. This project is a year delayed from being opened. And also, what's the other negative thing that came out with? Was obviously the finances. Yeah, the finances that it overran. Right. And so, despite the fact, great celebration of this big achievement. And it was a huge achievement for French and British engineering mm-hmm. and the construction industry, you know, the civil engineering industry. The, the British media couldn't help themselves. Yeah, they had to find the negative side of it. Yeah. And they found all three negative things they could say. Let's embarrass them on the day. Let's say something negative about about the circumstances. And then let's downplay ourselves. Whereas, by what I could tell from the French, it was much more upbeat. What a great success for France. And because the ceremony, the cutting of the ribbon, was on the French side. And they were listing all the other people that were there. There was also the Belgian Prime Minister at the time. And also uh, the President of the uh, what was at that point the European Community Commission. Jacques Delors oh, was, right. was also there as well. So it was really interesting to see this contrast of the two. How clearly do you remember this event? I don't remember the opening. I remember... The building of it, the announcement that they were going to build it. Um, I remember being like around when it opened and seeing pictures of the different trains that were going to go through it and all that sort of thing. I don't remember the opening ceremony in any any way, shape, or form. There's this terrible culture we have of we think everything we do is rubbish in this country. Yeah, we we often find it very hard to celebrate our successes, and we we complain about countries that do celebrate their successes. Yeah, like who? 
like the Americans. Yeah, and who else next door? And the French. The French, yeah. yeah, and particularly particularly things like railways, yeah. which is what this is, you know. That's, that's, that's an interesting sort of mirror image there. Old news. If you'd like to get in touch with us, go to our website, www.oldnews.podbean.com or you can email us oldnews at gmail.com you can visit us on facebook just search for old news podcast or connect to us through twitter at old news pod we're also on youtube margaret thatcher is a, a very sort of important key figure in this because this idea of a tunnel has been around since Victorian seven, times yeah well if not, if not earlier actually isn't there doesn't the first one get kibosh because of the N- napoleonic wars no, they, they, they do start to dig it because they're planning on uh, putting horse and carts through it. Are they yeah. like stagecoaches? <laughs> <laughs> and then it gets stopped because there's a fear of an invasion from France through the tunnel, uh, which is a fear that still existed when we bu- when we did build the tunnel. Yeah. Oh well, people could invade through the tunnel. Surely you just you just employ a man with a spear to stand <laughs> at one end and go go back. Just- just some, it's some like, pikemen. It's the most easily defensible position, isn't yeah. it? You know, you, the, you just you, collapse it. Yeah, really. You don't yeah. even need a man with a spear. Just, you just, just, just throw, just yeah. throw a water balloon in there and give them a surprise, and people will run away. You know, it's <laughs> uh, it's just crazy, right? This speaks to our island men- mentality, doesn't it? Really, it does, yeah. the opposition to this. And there was the there was the earlier effort in the seventies where that was a very serious effort where they tried to bore. It was just a single, a single tube tunnel, but that only got so far, and the um, the money ran out. Right, that was a private venture, but the workings for that were then subsequently reused in the construction. Oh, I didn't know that in the new. Yeah, one. Okay. yeah the, new, the new one. I think it was used for like a service tunnel and things. It, it still doesn't form part of the main construction, but in the kind of the building that those works were, were used but that is really important because she is surprisingly friendly with Francois Mitterrand who is a socialist this has always been one of these kind of strange things in politics of that era that, that those two managed to have a very good working relationship I think the French were very keen that the project would finally go ahead but she insisted it be built with private money which obviously put the nose out of joint of the old nationalised British Rail which yeah. I think would have dearly loved to have had that I mean how do you feel about that do you, do you think these things should be state projects uh, well can I be somewhere in between on this one okay. uh, <laughs> I think if something can be funded privately, there's not there's no reason why it shouldn't be. Or if it can be partly funded privately, there's no reason why it shouldn't be. But I do think if there's high risk of failure, I suppose with this, it, it perhaps was too big to be funded privately mm. and expected to then make a profit. Because I I also have a just okay, infra- sure. infrastructure projects. It's in the country's interest. Yeah, they're national assets, aren't they? That's right. Surely the country should be paying towards something that's in the country's interest. Mm. See, this is the thing, isn't it? Because in the UK, we have one motorway that is fully privately funded, privately owned and privately operated with tools. Well, we just have that one motorway, which is the M6 tool, for anybody in the UK will know. That is vastly underused. Yeah. So now we've got a big sort of strategic asset that's underused, but it's underused because it's expected to pay. 
because it has a private owner. Mm. So really, the argument might, might be then we should just nationalise it. They raised the funds through sales of shares and bank investments, whatever, in 1987 for the construction. And then in 1995, it really hit the wall financially. So that was only a year after it opened. Yeah, I remember that happening. Remember that, yeah. And there was this absolutely fantastic quote, which I always remember being on the news. And it was the the guy who was the chairman of Eurotunnel at the time was British. And he went out, there'd been a big all-night negotiation with the banks and they'd come to a deal, they'd rescheduled all of the debt, and he went out and said, you know, if you owe the bank three million pounds, that's your problem. If you owe the bank three billion pounds, that's the bank's problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, once you owe that amount of money, you, you basically are the bank. You know, mm. the, the bank can't, can't let you go burst because the bank ceases to exist. Interestingly, in that 20th anniversary or whatever it was, they were saying that the first profitable year of operation of the tunnel was 2007. Right. When did it open again? 1994. Right. <laughs> it's just astonishing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Private banks and private investors shouldered that burden for so long before they got any sort of return. It's an interesting what if. Had it collapsed financially, we would probably have had to nationalise it anyway. Yeah, we would have had to. Yeah, because what else would we do? It would be too embarrassing. We couldn't just board it up. (laughs) Just let the rats go back and forth. Or even, I mean, I suppose, given the government of the day, we might very well have refused to do anything, and then the French would have nationalised the whole thing, and they would have owned it 100%. Yes, <laughs> that, that's what would have, would have happened. Charged British people to go through it, but not French, French people. people. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, one of the, one of the other things I wanted to talk about when this thing opened, and I, and I quite remember it when, when it happened, uh, was we we have a TV show in the UK uh, called Have I Have I Got News for You? Is a very popular satirical news show, and they have an animated opening sequence. Yes. That mm. yeah. Over the years, it changes because it sort of it always reflects. Yeah, what's going on in the what's news? What's going on in the news yeah. of that that year or that six month period or whatever? And I, I always remember there was an animation in that of a you were train, train. A, yeah, you star train coming out of the tunnel on the British side, and then it being hauled by horses. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and this is a reference to the fact that. We in Britain didn't bother to build a rail link from the tunnel head into the centre of London. This reflects what's happening with the high-speed rail project we have at the moment. Because basically it's it's held up uh, by the landowners in Kent, the big, powerful landowners. These are people who are members of the House of Lords, mm. you know, the rich commuter, uh, what do you call them, the, uh, the city, right. which yeah. is the commuter, the commuter belt for the city and so on. And they didn't want this filthy, stinking railway coming through their, uh, their their estates their estates yeah you know, where we go shooting at the weekends and mm-hmm. all of this because what happens is they they end up running the trains on the existing track instead of having the nice overhead twenty five thousand volts so high powered system we had to run the trains on the third rail commuter network at seven hundred and fifty volts <laughs> it's just terrible I think the maximum speed it could do was like was it like 85 miles an hour? Yeah, something like that, I remember. It's terrible. Yeah. I've only been through the tu- tunnel once, mm-hmm. and I travelled on it in that era before the new line was, was built. And it was funny, you did, you kind of clunked and clunked and clunked along this terrible commuter track. Like Although the train was this like really fabulous bit of engineering, 
you're clunking along this track and then the moment you went through the tunnel you'd actually feel the train accelerate yeah and the maximum speed through the tunnel is like 100 knots, you know and you could actually feel the train ex- accelerate as they put their foot down well I presumably trains don't have pedals right but they, <laughs> they move the hand forward <laughs> and then when you as you came out of the tunnel you then went full speed you were going 104 40 miles an hour if not more whatever it is and then just straight into the center of paris you didn't slow down until like the last sort of moment yeah really yeah but eventually when when we build the uh the the channel tunnel real real link uh, they, they changed the name to hs1 mm-hmm. high speed one the idea being that this would be the first one and then the then there'd be an HS2, which yeah. is what we're going to build now. But everybody goes, oh, you know, we're ter- the HS2 project is terrible. It's rubbish. Yeah. yeah, It's too expensive. Yeah. I'll not move out of my house. <laughs> well, it's become massively expensive, largely because we're having to sink a load of it into tunnels. Yeah. Uh, and guess who's forced that? The, the landowners. The landowners, the big, rich, powerful landowners standing in the way of progress. Yeah. This is this is the one thing I really admire about the French, and I think this is definitely, this must come the inheritance from the French Revolution. Of, <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? The state will just do as the state does. Yeah. Yeah, and the hell with you, you're, you're, you aristocrat in the way. You've got a chateau there. No, we're running a railway line too. Terribly sorry about the chateau. Actually, not sorry at all. Yeah. Just get your chateau out of the way of my rail- railway line. And I'm not saying that we should be so heavy-handed, but at least the French didn't have the embarrassment of connecting horses up to the front of the train <laughs> in 1994. Old news. I want to talk about trains because I like talking about trains. Yeah, you you are Sheldon, basically. <laughs> I'm not Sheldon, and I'm not. A, I'm not a train spotter, but I'm not. I'm not ashamed to say I quite I quite like trains. So I mean the very the very famous trains you always see pictures of is the uh, the Euro Eurostar Star trains, which are the the class three seven three under the uh, the British system. Uh, the French call them the TGV TMST. Now schoolboy French TGV is uh, I'll give you T is Tran Tran Grand Vitesse. Yeah, high speed. Right in TMST. TM. Uh, so this has got to be something to do with under the three. See, so mm. what was it? T. TM. Tr- something with Tran. M- Transmanche. Transmanche. That's what they call the channel, isn't it? The, uh, Transmanche and ST is Super Train. <laughs> really? Yeah. Super Train. <laughs> yeah, so I like that. That, that greatly amused me. But the, uh, one thing I want to talk about because they, I mean, they build these things and they are, I mean, they are fabulous bits of ge- gear you know, when they're built. But because they have to run in the UK and at the time on the stupid commuter lines with the third rail, yeah. they also have to have the, the proper overhead system. Where they also have to run on the Belgian railways because there's a connection up to uh, Brussels as well, and they have overhead wires but at a different voltage. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so the, the, the these things are built with three sets of gear in them. Since since we built our high speed line, uh, they got rid of the uh, the third rail stuff, right. you know. So that was all stripped out. But one one of the things I thought I'd mentioned about this, they're now being replaced by a, a, 
a new version and it's a, a, a the 374 interesting that the original ones are is is an enormous set of carriages with with locomotives either end and in some ways that's quite old-fashioned thinking and the new ones are more where where they have the electric motors mounted throughout the train oh on in the carriages themselves in the carriages themselves which right. is very much the practice of the well the modern tgv system in france but also originally from japan Right. You know, the bullet, the bullet trains. Train. Yeah, that technology starts in the 60s. One of these locomotives, the 373s, is now actually in the main hall of the National Railway Museum. Right. So I was there just recently with a friend. And I was thinking, I feel really old. Yeah, this this feels like a new train. Yeah. But it's in a museum. It's in a museum, mm. yeah. There was a whole load of those trains built, but there was also seven entire sets of those trains built. Uh, for the what was called the North of London regional service, yeah, and these things it's the total financial basket case. Nightstar, it was yeah. Called. Well, there was nights, yeah, night, Nightstar, wasn't it? Because they were going to start in like en- on the east coast, Edinburgh. Yeah, going to start Edinburgh, stop at Newcastle because they used to have the signage on the station. Yeah, I was Newcastle. really excited about it. Yeah, I thought that'll be cool getting yeah. on the train at Newcastle and waking up in the morning in Paris. Yeah, go all the way down here, and then I think the other ones were going to run from Glasgow, weren't they? Down the west coast, down the west coast, and then through London and, and you know on to Paris. And there was just no demand for it. It just collapsed straight, straight away. And the thing that really killed it was budget airlines. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, yeah it was both starting up at about the same time. Yeah, the late nineties, early two thousands, and it just would never work. And in fact, at a later date, they they did actually use some of those trains very briefly on the East Coast Main Line when they were short of trains. And I think they could only run them as far as Leeds because the curves up at Newcastle are too too, too, too curvy too tight yeah. okay. so it would have cost fortunes to adapt everything to mm. to allow them to run anyway so there was this I mean hang on a second I just want to think about the logic about that these trains were originally going to run from Edinburgh to Paris mm-hmm. but when they were running them on the East Coast Main Line right. but when they were running them as East Coast Main, Main Line trains they couldn't run them yeah yeah. So the, how, the, how does that they work they were planning on doing track works oh, as well oh right okay so that, 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 that this is one of the things that really kills it as a project because they've spent fortunes on the trains they're then going to have to spend four fortunes on track mo- modifications and works through stations like Newcastle and some of the places to the north to get to Edinburgh and the cost of that was so enormous right that it just it just didn't add up and so you're left with this ghost fleet of trains mm-hmm. which and you were just saying they were then sold sold to Canada sold to uh was it CN no, it was sold was it the other one? Via Rail, uh-huh. yeah. which is the passenger railway mm-hmm. in you know, the long distance passenger railway. But that wasn't a huge success in the end. No, they weren't suitable. Yeah. As you can imagine, a train designed by Frenchmen to run in France and England didn't quite work in the harsh environment of the Canadian winter. Well, you'd think, you know, something that was built as a joint British French project, you know, would work in Canada. Yeah. <laughs> Really? <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna go down that road. There's so many things wrong with that. <laughs> I like the you way might... I'm conceptualising Canada as a joint British French project. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think they had problems with things like the, the the pipework for the toilets freezing in the winters, and I don't think they used they bought the locomotives, they bought the the rolling stock, you know, the actual carriages, and so V-Rail ended up spending quite a lot of money adapting these things, and it it, it was a bit of a financial disaster for V-Rail. So these things uh, caused two financial disasters <laughs> in their <laughs> lives, and I think their lives have been surprisingly short in mm. Canada. It's a shame that night services like that died the death and yet actually in the UK now we have two night services left we have the one down London to Cornwall mm-hmm. and there's one from London to the very north of Scotland and the, they've spent quite a lot of money on them in recent times and passenger ridership's growing people prefer to use them rather than take sort of internal flights and things Yeah, I think if you sell them in the right way it's all about marketing. It's yeah. all about marketing. Put it in people's faces so they know it exists and show them how comfortable it is. But I think this is a classic case of where something just comes along in the wrong era. It is a, It is just marketing. You You are right. Although uh, night services in the, in Europe are generally on the decline, which is a shame. So right. we're, we're booking the trend in a way. I threatened for a long time to do the uh, Paris-Berlin overnight service that no longer exists. And that was one of the oldest ones as well, which mm. is a real, a real shame. Yeah, so the the North of London regional Eurostar, Night Star service, whatever it was going to be called, didn't come to fruition. Out news! If that didn't work, I also wanted to talk a little bit about the things that the tunnel killed and didn't kill okay right because there was some thought that because you've, you've not only got the passenger service and the the, uh, the the kind of the car service you also got the trucks as well mm-hmm. and you also got freight so you got the four services running through and they thought that basically this would kill the uh, ferries the ferries yeah mm-hmm. and it's because it doesn't i mean the the ferry companies are still very much alive and kicking and doing very well for themselves thank you very much the things that don't survive is uh, and they've come and gone. One is uh, train ferries, and I think people forget that they existed. I nice. o- I only know that they existed because I had a picture book with one in. Right, I might might still be on my bookshelf somewhere. I'm looking. It was a, it was like you know the big book of trains or something like that. Right, and there was it was this picture of a ship with loads of train lines kind of going through it. Yeah, yeah, and there was there was a cross channel train ferry service. And I think because British Rail had their nose point of put out a joint that they didn't get the project as such. They continued to try to run that, and after a year, it just went. You know, it had ceased to exist. Interestingly, there was, there was two other options which were, like, directly in competition. There was high-speed ships. They came along in the, in the late 90s, and obviously there was the hovercraft service was still on the go as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and both of those continued to operate in competition with the tunnel despite the fact they offered similar times but the thing that kills them ultimately is the loss of duty free yeah because i don't think they were ever really economic without having the duty free shop on board so yeah it's interesting that the people that do survive are the the budget airlines and the existing conventional ferries which which i think nicely sort of leads to kind of one one, one of the last points on the actual tunnel i, I wanted to make about freight because this was just in the news they planned originally to run 35 trains a day of freight and they were hoping to move 10 million tons of freight a year last year uh, they carried 1 million tons really yeah that's rubbish yeah really terrible and they were talking about apparently the peak was 1997 at 3 million tons of freight mm-hmm. so this really hasn't been a success and then is it Wheelston in North London is that how it's pronounced Wheelston 
there's a there's a big freight yard there with you know the big cranes over the sidings you know for mm-hmm. taking containers on and off and intermodal is the word yeah and and that's all abandoned shut right so it's really interesting that because that sort of there was a good article in uh, Londonist if anybody wants wants to go have a look at that and they were saying that the things that killed that was uh, obviously the migrants problem right migrants desperately trying to get through the tunnel and so more and more inspections of containers and things which were delaying yeah things and of course when things got delayed and the tunnel got shut and free couldn't get through then they just went to the ferries which mm-hmm. were reliable yeah the other thing is i hadn't thought about this is that the uh, the manufacturing base in europe changed when when the european union expanded an awful lot of manufacturing moved east mm-hmm. and their railway network is much less developed basically because of the second world war and the russians saying we're going to take your railway (laughs) and so if you move your factory to the east you then just put it onto trucks and then you just move it by truck across europe anyway so that traffic sort of disappeared and the third option apparently was because and surprise surprise is because our our railway being 100 years 150 years old can't really accept standard size shipping containers. Oh, there's a surprise. Yeah. yeah, it's a thing called the loading gauge, which is like the, the actual width of the train, not the width of the track, but the width of the, the size of the carriage, if you want. It's a real shame that something that could be really good for the environment, you know, getting freight off the roads or whatever, really hasn't worked. So despite the fact the tunnel is successful and profitable, that's one aspect that really did fail. Of course, there's the Chinese train that's going to go through it. It's not the same train, though, is it? It's... They, well, they have to change it several times because of the different gauges yeah. on the route. I mean, that's a very long way from from far end of China to London. And there's the old Soviet, the ex-Soviet states who have a different gauge to everyone yeah, else. the Russian gauge. Yeah. Then you hit Eastern Europe, then you hit Western Europe. It's interesting, though. I remember reading, uh, the, well, it was the book of a TV series. Channel 4 did a program uh, in the 90s called uh, locomotion it was like the history of the railways and there was a bit in that about the history about the future of the railway and they were saying that once the tunnel was opened you'd be able to go continuously on rails from edinburgh to shanghai be interesting to see whether that grows mm. but it, i suppose that this to me it does smack of just a propaganda thing you know what i mean of how much commercial relevance is a few trains if they were running a lot yes running a, f- a few trains back and forth well i think there's two elements to this the vast majority of that freight runs on ships around the chinese coast and then up through the indian ocean and through suez into southern europe they're looking at the overland option because they think that suez might not be reliable given the political instability okay so I think I think that's part of what they're th- thinking about. But the other part is because the, the the Chinese are looking very strongly to re-establish the traditional Silk Road route. Yeah, but that's about the internal development of like sort of inland China. Okay, so you you're running trains through inland China. Yeah. And that's so, going to bring a bit of um, money, well, yeah, a bit of development. If you start to develop like a manufacturing base along in, that route, along yeah, that corridor, and it makes sense because then projecting their power into the, the countries that border, yeah, into uh, China, Turkmenistan, Turkmenistan, and, and all Central all those Asia, places, yeah. and you, yeah, you, it's that sort of power play between Russia and China in, in Central Asia. So interesting how talking about the Channel Tunnel has taken us all, all the way to Beijing. Yeah, we somehow managed to get into. <laughs> Turkmenistan. Has <laughs> that happened? Well, I think that says something about the power of railways to mm. still be relevant 
and and connects connect us in a really important way even now and that was the message from the railway marketing marketing boards oldeth newseth there has been talk over time uh, of building a tunnel to Ireland. It's an idea that's come and gone over the years. The, I can't remember if it was you that said it or if I read it on a website or something like that, mm-hmm. that basically the traffic would be all one way. Yes, there would be some stuff yeah. coming back from Ireland. Or yeah. On the whole, everything would be going yeah. through to Ireland from, well, both Britain and continental Europe. Europe, yeah. The compelling argument for the Channel Tunnel it's not not some romantic ideal of joining Britain to mainland Europe. It's because at one end you've got a major Euro- European city, and at the other end you've got a major European city. Mm-hmm. The the two most important European cities, Paris and London, are a one important. Connecting kind of the corner of Wales to Dublin. Okay, so if you were to build a high speed railway all the way from London to Holyhead, mm-hmm. that might make sense in a way. But the problem is at the other end of it is this going to sound terribly patronising in a British accent? The other end is Dublin. Yeah. And, and Dublin just isn't isn't that, yeah. isn't so that big. I'm sure it's a lovely city. I've personally have never it's been. fantastic place. I owe my living to the place. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it's not the big important powerhouse that like London Paris has. Is. Paris are, yeah. The other, the other argument is for a tunnel that will go from Scotland to Northern Ireland. Mm-hmm. And that's a, it's a shorter route. Uh, but then you've got the problem of you're landing in like quite an obscure bit of Scotland, mm-hmm. you know, like that, the sort of that, that route there. Yeah, is, you, you'd have to go quite a long way around yeah. to actually get to anywhere that's not yeah. obscure. Well, that's always the problem with Stranra as the connection to Northern Ireland is that it's it's right the way on the edge of Scotland, and anybody coming from the English side has to go up and then round the corner. Uh, yeah. And the other problem with either point in Ireland is the lack of trains once you get there because famously the Irish pretty much got rid of their trains well I mean the, there is there's the main lines between Dublin and Belfast yeah but they yeah they got rid of a big chunk of the network didn't they they, they did the, they did what we did in the 60s but they did mm. it in the, in a, in the 90s quite recently bigger style as well yeah well they did that thing which I thought was the most spiteful thing where they deliberately sold the land and built houses on the routes of the trains so they mm-hmm. could never bring them back which I imagine made the trucking lobby rather happy in Ireland yeah. and the busing lobby it's terrible of course the other problem is, is of course the Irish have a different gauge yes they've got narrow narrow gauge or narrower isn't it, is it no it's not it's, a, it's slightly broader I think oh right okay. yeah but you know how the Irish it's unique you know how the Irish mm-hmm. got that gauge and it's my favourite railway story okay I, I can't remember the name of the guy he was kind of the engineer who was responsible for the construction of Irish rail- railways originally he it was kind of in the era when there was the war of the gauges mm-hmm. you know and he decided that what he would do was compromise so he got all of the different gauge sizes. So the standard gauge we use, the Russian gauge, uh, the meter gauge, broad gauge that Brunel was using, you know, the seven foot gauge or whatever it was, seven foot six. Somebody will correct me. Uh, he took all of those numbers and then he took a strict arithmetical average. Okay. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that became the Irish gauge. Brilliant. So oh, this is the best of all worlds because we've got a gauge which compromises everybody else's. It meant that... that 
the Irish Railways is totally unique. Can you imagine that Chinese train having to go from China to, yes. to change at the last minute? You know, change as it comes out. This, well, would you change at Hollyhead or would you change as you came out the other end? Yeah, that's a good point. Isn't it? <laughs> Two Irish kids. <laughs> yeah. Oh, madness. Yeah, but I don't think that. I think anywhere else for like major railway projects like that off the UK, just they're non-starters the other thing is about the depth as well because the going under the channel is quite shallow mm. i mean they had geological problems during the build of the the channel tunnel there was cracking in the rocks and they had they then had to come from the top and find the cracks and fill the cracks with grout or whatever that was all quite innovative at the time but uh going westward is much much deeper old news the legislation exists Eurotunnel. Well, is it Eurotunnel or is it Transmanche Limited, which was the construction firm? They have the legal permission to build an automotive tunnel. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in parallel to the, the railway. It won't happen see. now. Could you, well, maybe with the advent of, ele- advent of electric cars. But yeah, I was thinking with that. the environmental lobby as it is at the moment, I can't see a car tunnel being a starter at all. Yeah. Well, why not just put your car on on the train on the shuttle anyway? Yeah, in the eighties and the nineties, people were less less bothered, less concerned about cars yeah. travelling long distances. Yeah. I don't know how you deal with the fumes with a tunnel like that. I mean, there is like the long tunnels in the Alps and things that you know, they, yeah. they do deal with it, but I imagine it being rather unpleasant. Old news, old news, old news. That was the Channel Tunnel. As always, we owe a thanks to bensound.com for providing royalty-free music for our theme tunes, and also Mr. Peter Kitson for the use of his voice. Very good it is, too. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. (laughs) 